Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today I am very pleased to have in studio Pam Scarmato, founder of TPK Properties. Pam, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bart. Thank you so much for having me on. This is exciting and fun to be here. Oh, good, good. Well, we're going to keep it that way. We're going to keep it exciting and keeping it fun. So let's talk about what TPK property, um, I said right, I'm sorry, TPK properties, what it is, and then kind of your journey. You're a, a young woman in an investment world um, uh, arena. So tell us how you got there. Well, great. Um, so Bart, I actually used to be an aerospace engineer for a good decade of my life before I decided to switch over and start at TPK Properties. And the reason why I went into this, well, first off, let me back up. TPK mm -hmm. Properties is an apartment syndication company. So we go out and we buy multifamily properties and work with our investors. And we do the acquisition all the way through closing of a deal and property management for these properties. Um, and what got me started in it was that I realized when I was getting um, promoted higher to different roles in the technical field and engineering, I was finding less and less time that I was having at home. And I kind of got tired of the idea of trading my, my time and effort for money. And that was when I read, uh, there are three main books I read, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Rob Kiyosaki. I knew that had totally, to be one. <laughs> yeah, it totally changed my mindset. It was like a light bulb just exploded. Yeah. literally in my brain. And then the second book was Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. Another good one. I think it's amazing. It helps you think of different ways of how to structure your week and how to have your hours work better for you in a more efficient way. Um, and the third book was uh, Commercial Real Estate Investing for Dummies by Peter Harris and Peter Conti. And one of the authors became my mentor. And that was when my journey began. I was working full-time and was able to quit in two years once I decided that I was going to pursue this path and had three properties on, under my belt before I was able to fully step away, as exciting yeah. and scary as that may sound. <laughs> wow. So I think most people would read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I did, and then I would think that most people would say, okay, I'm going to buy a property and make it an income-producing property and then maybe buy a second and third and so on and so forth. But you've taken that and then really leveraged it, right? So what, what got you from buying a property and creating income from you to syndicating multifamily property deals? Well, that's a great question, Bart. And I think it happened organically when I was talking in the break rooms with my engineering colleagues. Every day, I'd probably bug them to death about just the ideas and the passion I had about buying apartments and how to kind of leverage our money, if we were to pool our money together legally and then move forward with a syndication. And so that's how it really started. Um, so the first few folks who worked with me were friends and family. And when everyone realized that, hey, this was doable because the misconception out there was we needed to be millionaires, bazillionaires to be able to buy property. But when we realized if we work together as a team, 
we can help each other leverage our funds and actually um, have the money work harder for us. And the returns were just wonderful. It's kind of a win-win, right? You go farther together than you go solo. And that's kind of how it's it's grown since then. So organically, it just grown from like friends and family and then by word of mouth. Okay. All right. So let's let's talk about the kind of the industry and the trends for, for just a minute. So why don't you define what, what multifamily is? I know that most people know, but for those who don't, what does a multifamily living property look like? Sure, sure. So um, it's a great question and let's backtrack to that. So for me, multifamily investing specifically is multiple units under one roof. And you need to own or you need to buy five units and above to be considered um, in the commercial real estate arena. So if you're buying four units and under, let's say it's like a triplex or a duplex, you're still operating in the single family residential arena. And that's operated differently than commercial real estate. And for multifamily, for me specifically, that's apartment investing. That's what I love. And that's what I do. Now, there's other different uh, asset types within that class, like mixed use, which means you can have livable units upstairs and then you have like the storefronts downstairs. That's also a mixed use multifamily slash retail going on. But for for the purpose of today and my business, that's what I deal with is apartments only and multiple units under one roof. Okay. All right. That helps. Then next, let's just talk about trends and what's happening with, um, we're in in a a unique year, first of all, but even prior to this year, I I think what, what I've been seeing in the real estate trend is maybe less people, especially if I know the millennials get picked on a lot, but if we look at the younger generation, the millennials that perhaps no longer have the quote unquote American dream of property ownership and just feel more comfortable either renting or, or having less tie downs, you know, things to do, you know, yard work to do on the weekend and are more interested in having some freedom. So what, what do you see? Yes, that is a good question for trends. And um, Bart, I actually submitted an article and it got published with Forbes. Um, I'm part of the Forbes Real Estate Council. And one of the things I wrote about was that I, I foresee a large exchange of wealth between ownership. I see a shift in and people moving out of dense city centers, going out into the suburbs, because when when COVID hit earlier this year, a lot of us were working remotely from home, right? And so mm-hmm. with that flexibility of working remotely being kind of the new norm now, people don't have to sit through traffic to just commute two, three hours a day to go into work in a city center. They can live in the suburbs and work from home there. And so the trend that I see happening is that hopefully the cities will allow uh, developers to develop more housing in the suburbs to help accommodate. And you touched on something very important, Bart, is that a lot of the millennials don't feel the need or want to own such large properties anyways. And so I feel that there's a shift going towards two bedrooms, three bedrooms, and four bedrooms apartments luxury living or mm. resort style where everything's all there, but they don't have to worry about the house maintenance, so to speak, like mm-hmm. mowing their lawns. That's all taken care of. Um, so there's there's a mix of that as well. So I foresee a big shift of migration out there and there'll still be a greater need for housing, especially in the multifamily sector. So I'm predicting that hopefully the market or the sector will still be doing well. And until that 
affordable housing need or gap is met, there's that demand there. And so there's room to be creative and to build housing that will fit the new social behavior. Yeah. Were you seeing this even prior to, I think we have before 2020 and then now after 2020, that, that that's probably going to be a, a delimiter for us going forward for the foreseeable future. Um, but so pre COVID, did you see that same kind of trend in, in multifamily living versus home ownership? Yes, I saw us heading there. Uh, but I, but I just feel like taking a step back now with the way the pandemic kind of hit us, it really forced us to take stock and inventory, inventory of what's going on, right? We were all forced to just pause and take a big, uh, look at ourselves or our situation. Um, moving forward. So I saw that the trend was going that way anyways. I myself, I, I like to call myself a blend of a millennial and I'm also a Gen Xer. So I can kind of see where my parents are coming from sometimes and I also can relate to the other side. And one of the main things uh, of also why I was looking forward to starting my own business was that I I wanted to telecommute. I wanted to be able to be home with my family more than always having to drive into the office to work. And so I see that big shift happening. Uh, just it, it's been accelerated, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other thing, Bart, that I I just remembered is also, you know, with the eviction moratoriums in place, it'll be really interesting to see what's going to happen in the next six to twelve months when moratoriums are lifted. Because I know every city, every state, they have their own rules going on. So it's kind of going to be interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. More so on the negative side, the impacts are great for landlords and tenants. Both sides are going to be hit pretty bad. So that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I think you bring up a really good point there. There seems to be a surprise that the um, foreclosure rates have been less than maybe expected um, over this time period. And I think some people forget that there is that moratorium. And Actually, I didn't realize that it was state specific. I thought it was a I thought it was a federal. So you're saying every state has their own rules on eviction? Yes, um, every state uh, has their own set of criteria. I have properties along mostly the West Coast, and so I'm often uh, juggling with my legal counsel of like, wait, what does California say again? What does Oregon say? And mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting to try to be on top of that at the moment because things are ever so fluid and they're dynamic and changing as we speak, which is, which is good because we need to be able to adapt to the current events as well. Sure. Sure. You mentioned the West coast States. Um, do you, are there particular States other than that? Obviously if you're invested there, you think that's a good place, but across the country, are there pockets where you think that multifamily is, is better suited and going to be you know, better for long-term investors? Oh, yes. There are plenty of markets that people can jump into. And another misconception that we'll have is that, oh, no, it's going to be too competitive wherever I want to go. But surprisingly, I started off in my backyard in San Diego, and it was a first challenging task from my mentor who said, Pam, before you even try to look out of state, look in your backyard. And I remember I told him, like, you're crazy. It's so expensive, so saturated. I'm never going to find one. It was that negative mindset I had, but that was my first property, six units. I still have that baby today Mm -hmm. as an emotional reminder of like, it can be done. And so to answer your question in a nutshell, the reason why I stick on the West Coast is because I have two young kiddos. I don't want to fly far from my babies. Mm -hmm. They're not babies anymore. I have a five-year-old and a one and a half, but 
I want to be able to fly and check on a property and then come back either the same day or just one overnighter. Whereas if yeah. I were to fly farther um, to the East Coast or Midwest, I need to allocate more time. And so when people ask me that question, I'm, I, of, I often encourage them to just go wherever their heart desires. Where do you want to fly to? Where do you want to work in? What city? What what area? Chances are you can find a good deal there. Mm. So on average, over all of your properties, you and I were talking about this earlier, but what is the average rent received this year versus last year? Yeah, that's that's a tough one for, for some of the landlords out there. Um, for us, though, knock on wood, <laughs> we've been very lucky. We're um, in between the 96 to 98% rental collections, but I do have some colleagues in the business who are hurting really bad. Um, for example, one of my friends, he's actually out in Arkansas and his rent collections was around 60%. And so that hurts. And we were kind of discussing of why that is. And honestly, I don't have a straightforward answer, but the way I run our business with our property managers is that when it first started happening in March, at least for us finding out out here, we overly communicated with our tenants. We had our property managers just be proactive and say, hey, we know something's changing. And if you do reach some sort of hardship, don't hesitate to let us know. Let's work out something before it becomes a real big issue. And so we were very uh, out there in the forefront. And same thing with with my partners. I just told them up front of, look, we're, we're entering a time of where we don't know what's going to happen. So let's ride through it together. I'll communicate everything and anything I know at each time, each step of the mm -hmm. way, and just try to remain resilient and relentlessly determined to work together to, to find a solution. And I think that's kind of what has helped us a lot in retaining um, that higher rent collection percentage. But I honestly don't have a straightforward answer on that. I'm not sure. It's worked for us. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you say that, and I'm, and I'm getting deeper and thinking, well, Communication, that's the key to any marriage or any relationship. And it, it was the key, I think, in you know how I run my practice is I was overly communicative, you know, during those really terrible months, just keeping everyone up to date. So at the end of the day, I think communication is key. So we're gonna remind Paul of that for his his relationship and everything he does, who's been very quiet today. You know, you and I are both very driven by compliance, so we have to be careful about what we say. And we're not recommending this to anybody, but we're just giving some information. But what would you what would you say to someone who is interested investing in multifamily? What are some of the, the key things that they should look at? That is a great question because I'm now thinking back to when I first started and the feeling of being overwhelmed is what is taking over. And so right now, I well, a month ago, I literally just launched a new website called letsgocreatewealth.com for that purpose of providing just free quality education to anyone who's kind of starting off or dabbling, not sure where to go. Because I felt that when I was starting off, information was everywhere. And so to me, what I really like is kind of a consolidated area of everything. And then from there, networking with intention. I think that's something I've learned through the years and I wish I knew upfront. And so that's always something I, I speak at length to people who I meet or even when I do my student outreach and I talk to them of just, you never know who you're going to meet down the road, but please just 
work on your network with intention, meaning be real, be who you are, be honest about it, of what you're looking for, and just create that, um, I call it like a, a good bridge to one another mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of plant the seeds early on. Yeah. Those are very wide words, wise words. I look at you and realize that you're a very young lady, but you're, you're saying things that are ultimately learned by seasoned professionals. So good job. Well done. Oh, thanks, Bart. I see the yeah. uh, next, uh, you're going to be the next Robert Kiyosera come out with a great yeah. book on wealth building. and. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. And I have to, you know, credit my mentor, Peter Harris, a lot for that. He was very instrumental. And I often get asked a lot of, is it worth working with a mentor or not? And everyone has their own path, I believe, because you will ultimately learn It's just, do you want to learn faster or slower? Mm -hmm. Take your time because we all are in different phases in our lives. Yeah, I have to credit him as well. He was very instrumental in kind of helping me set up my first deal, finding my first deal and then going forward from there. And one thing that I've learned in just observing him, and I see that with you too, Bart, is that you're giving back. And I think that's so important that we often sometimes forget about that. And I've realized like, this is the year for me. I'm excited. I want to just give back and help as much as I can. I obviously can't just shell out, Hey, free money everywhere. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But the knowledge and just the motivation, I think that is something that I, I wish I had also starting off is that support network. Mm -hmm. So what thought process did you go through or who coached you to get a mentor? And then the second part is, How did you talk this mentor into working with you? Yeah, so that's an interesting story. Uh, So back then when Borders was still in business, I used to spend my weekends perusing the bookstore, looking at, I guess, the investment section. Like they'll have books on like, you know, how to invest in stocks and what are options trading, all that, you know, fun stuff. Right. The book that stood out to me that day was the design of, of, you know, like anything for dummies, it's that yellow and black yeah. mm-hmm. color scheme. It stood out to me and I thought, what is this book? So I grabbed it out and I think as fate would have it, that's what caught my eye, commercial real estate investing for dummies. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I'm a dummy. What is this? Yeah. Uh, this is not paper, uh, paper trading. What is it? So I read that book and I felt that Peter Harris, the, the half author of the book, He wrote it in such a way that it felt so relatable as if I was sitting and talking to him, just like how I'm sitting and talking with you. Mm -hmm. And so I decided after finishing the book, I was like, I'm going to track down this guy. I know that's not the best thing to do, but that was my decision after I finished the book. So I tracked him down, found him, and I said, hey, loved your book. Your writing resonated with me. Will you please be my mentor? Literally. (laughs) Wait, you tracked down the author of the book to be your mentor? And I he did. said yes. Did he take convincing or did he? Um, let's see. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think back. He he didn't answer my calls, and then uh, and then I found his email. So I did email him. So it took a while to get him because he's a busy man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he eventually said yes, and I was just so elated because I, you know, I was just looking for someone um, who I could relate to. And what really made him stand out to me, Bart, is that his background was that he used to be an engineer as well. So I felt like. Oh my gosh, you probably understand what I'm going through. Yeah. You know, I can probably work with you and we'll be the right fit. So it was kind of like a leap of faith, to be honest. But 
I can't put it into practicality of why I chose him, but it was just like a calling. I'm so thankful for that because fast forward to now, we are like friends. I'll check in with him here and there because sometimes I'll bump into kind of like a challenging business project or something. And it's always nice to be able to call him and say, hey, Peter, what, what do you think of this? And he's always just so generous with me. So yeah, it, it's become like a, a mentor slash turn into a lifelong friendship, which is what I love. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the most fulfilling friendships you can have, right? When you meet someone and you you begin a journey together and there's a purpose to be served with one another. Sure. You've thrown out some pretty good nuggets. Um, and so the answer to this might be something you've already said, but what would you tell the teenage Pam? What would you tell her as she's growing up and maybe just finishing high school, entering college? What would you tell that young woman? Ooh, that's a good one. I haven't thought of that in a while. I would probably tell that young Pam, don't worry, keep chugging along. It's not going to turn out the way you envisioned. (laughs) Yeah, it never does. (laughs) But it'll be 5,000 times better. Okay. Yeah, just keep, keep continuing on the journey and and just have faith. Okay. So you're, I've said it before. So you're a young mother now. Now I know you have two kids. You're running a successful business. Give me a day in the life. What's your routine? You get up at what time? What do you do? How does your day look? Okay. Yeah. So before I launched uh, the Create Wealth Network, the free website that's taking up a lot of my time now um, in a great way, because it's a passion project. Before that I had uh, I took some time off, which I I wasn't sure if I shared it with you before. So I took some time off to raise my my oldest. Okay. And so before then, I used to just in the day of Pam, I'd hang out with my oldest, and then we go to Disneyland a lot. Honestly, that was really fun for both. Wow. Of us. <laughs> <laughs> but when I had my second one, things changed a little bit, and so now I'm thankful my mom is here to help out. She helps out five days out of the week. My mornings start with I wake up and I do a mindfulness mindfulness practice, which it's either through meditation or just kind of reflecting, just kind of like a quiet Pam time or I do mm-hmm. yoga. What time do you get up? Around 6, 6.30 naturally. Okay. okay. I don't set an alarm anymore yeah. unless I need to, but it's because when you have young kids, they're your alarms anyway. <laughs> That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> so I wake up a little bit before they, they wake up naturally. And that was, that's Pam time. And then after I do my little mindfulness ritual, I make myself a hot cup of tea and then I shower. And that's when, I guess, since my mind is so relaxed, that's when all of the creative juices start coming in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so immediately after showering, I will go handwrite them down. I believe in the power of handwriting things down. Yeah. Typing is great because it's fast, but the power of handwriting, it's a little bit different. It really just cements it in your brain. Yeah. So I'll do that. Usually my kids wake up. So then it'll be breakfast time, hanging out together. My son just started online kindergarten. So bless his heart. He's learning how, how to do online kindergarten. And we do that. And then I progress with my day, checking my emails, making my calls. I'm also part of Crew Network. I'm the board director with Crew Network starting in 2021. And so a lot of uh, volunteering goes into that organization. So most of my days are spent between splitting that. And then it's okay. dinner time with the family. Yeah. And part of your daytime, is it is it due diligence on new properties or are you just managing your existing? 
It's a mix of both. So right now I'm in the acquisition phase. So I'm actually looking and hunting. So a lot of our time is spent on that, on marketing, or I'll be making calls to brokers or mm -hmm. to my network. But I have to say that I spend on average about 10 to 15 hours a week talking with my property managers. And the rest is more of connecting with folks or just managing the day-to-day -day business to see what's going on with the properties. But I have to thank my husband, my mom, and my property managers who are kind of making sure everything's going great. Yeah. They're fighting the fires <clears throat> for me so that I can focus on this. Okay. So that, that sounds like you uh, like an awesome routine. And you've taken a page out of Tim Ferriss's daily routines. I know that he drinks tea and he does mindful, uh, spends mindful time and uh, hand write journals. He's one of my, he's not a mentor, but I do look up to him on a lot of the things that he does. So uh, that's really, really great. We're nearing the end. So a couple of things. So the first thing I want to ask is the final thought question. And that Pam is, what is your ultimate lesson learned? I was going to say as a financial professional, but just I don't know, just as a working adult, what's your ultimate lesson learned? You've had a couple of careers, you're managing them. So what's your ultimate lesson learned as a, as a productive working adult? My ultimate lesson learned as an entrepreneur in this side of the business is that at the end of the day, it's a relationship business. Although I may be working on acquiring or managing properties, like physical assets, the end of the day, it's about your group, your wealth team. So it's mm -hmm. a relationship business. More people should keep that in mind as their ultimate thought question, because I think that's uh, that's important in, in many of our businesses. How can people reach out to you if they have questions on either side of your business? Sure. They can go to www.letsgocreatewealth, spelled just like it is, .com, or they can find me on LinkedIn. Pam Scamardo, S-C-A-M-A-R-D-O, and message me there. I know you have a busy day with all the things that you do, so I really want to uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with us. I think this was great for our listeners, and I really enjoyed getting to know you better. Well, thanks so much, Bart. I really enjoyed talking with you as well. And Paul, thanks for making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in, and we look forward to being in studio next week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.